You're listening to the Ascension Roundtable Podcast, your go-to show for Catholic ministry shop talk. Episode 3, Can Youth Group Small Groups Actually Work? If you've ever led a teen small group, you've probably experienced at least one of the following. Blank stares, the teen who never stops talking, more than a few awkward moments, and hopefully a few groundbreaking ones. In this episode, Alan and Colin, who are seasoned experts when it comes to youth ministry, are going to help you get past these problems and learn how to make small groups work for your youth group. Hello and welcome to the podcast. My name is Alan Austin. I'm the content project manager at Ascension Press. Before we get started, I want to remind you that we want to hear from you. Whether you have questions, problems you want us to troubleshoot, or just give us some feedback, please leave a comment on the show notes, which you can find at ascensionpresents.com slash podcasts. Or if you just want to shoot us an email, you can do that at ascensionroundtable at ascensionpress.com. So, Today I'm joined with Colin McIver, my friend, my mentor, my my person whose shoes I want to walk in one day. I'm, I'm running out of things to say. A gentleman, a scholar, <laughs> a buddy, a friend, and a guy who spends a lot of time with teenagers. Hello, welcome, Colin. Well, thank you. You're you're very kind, Alan. <laughs> How are you today? I'm doing I'm doing very well, very very well. It is a great day in uh, Philadelphia. And it's a a great day down here in Louisiana as well, where it is uh, a balmy, um, I don't know, 146 degrees, something (laughs) like that. That's that's almost like a fall day for you. Yeah, yeah. It's cooled down about 10 degrees, so we're good. (laughs) Now, rumor has it that you guys eat like just tons and tons of jambalaya and gumbo down there in Louisiana. Is that true or is that just like what people think about Louisiana? It is, it is absolutely true. We have breakfast jambalaya, and then we have uh, breakfast. We have 11 Z's jambalaya as well. Um, so you just have to get as much as possible. Actually, we're, we're dealing with a little bit of a scandal down here that um, somebody tried to publish a recipe for healthy gumbo. And um, so we, we really kind of circled the wagons, and we're trying to uh, to really be, be uh, gumbo activists down here <laughs> for the authenticity of gumbo. You know, we, we, we fight relativism in all its forms, especially uh, <laughs> culinary relativism uh, healthy is has no place in gumbo for goodness sakes well yeah i mean a healthy sort of yeah or kale has no place in gumbo i think that's more the uh the truth no offense to kale lovers out there it just doesn't belong in gumbo that's all <laughs> I, I think kale belongs on the plate and that's as far as it gets but we're not here to talk about gumbo or kale we're here to talk about teenagers and uh the Schwartavisco. Um, a term that you introduced me to um, about a year and a half ago or so. So let's talk about that real quick. Um, the Schwartavisco, what is that? And um, sure. who came up with that? So this this idea of a Schwartavisco, in, in Polish, it literally translates um, environment or, or maybe habitat. But it refers to the experience that young people had in the ministry of a young father, Carol Wojtyła, 
so that, uh, of course, that's St. John Paul II. And as a young priest, um, he had a, a very active youth ministry in his parish, in St. Florian Parish. And I think this could be said even of um, the experience that, that young people had in his, in his classroom when he was a professor, that there was this, um, this zone of freedom, a, a schwer de visco, in which they could really and authentically be themselves. So some of you may be familiar with the, the stories that are told of, uh, of his youth ministry, that, that he would take young people on, on camping trips. They would flip over canoes. They would occasionally evade the KGB. But the more important thing is that they would really be, through his mentoring, um, free to be themselves, free to really share their hearts and to, to grow in, in wisdom. And uh, that's, of course, what we want for our young people today. So even though there weren't all the technical structures of youth ministry and that hopefully your, your youth group or your confirmation program or your, your study, your classroom will never have to evade the KGB, um, your, your group will certainly face some of the same challenges that he did in, in trying, to, um, trying to mentor people, young people, to really be themselves and to be comfortable to express what they really want to express. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the idea of the Schwer de Visco. And I, I have the, the privilege of wearing a few hats. Um, I'm the training specialist for Ascension, but I'm able to sort of be out there on the road and to, uh, listen to others and, 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 and gather wisdom and share, um, most effectively because I, I'm still in a school and I'm in a parish. Um, in in the school, I, I'm a uh, campus minister. Just yesterday, I had 108 sophomore high school girls on, on a retreat, and we had some, some small, small groups, and um, we tried to build a Schwer de Visco there. And uh, just this Saturday, in a couple of days, I will be taking 110 confirmation candidates on a, on a retreat. And our whole program, and we've been using Ascension's chosen program, our whole program has been about not only content, but building that Schwer de Visco so that in that small group environment, through the, the mentoring of, of some great small group leaders, our young people can authentically be themselves and find a formation that's not just of the mind, but that's of the heart, that's of real lived experience and, and growth in our Catholic faith. Yeah, I think that that word authentic is huge. Um, you know, there's a real mm-hmm. lack of authenticity, I think, in our in our culture today, especially in the in the teen culture. And they just want somebody who they can feel safe enough they can be themselves with, and also know that the person they're they're sharing with is going to be is going to be authentic and going to be real with them as well. You know, my experience in the past with people wanting to uh, or people that were intimidated or apprehensive about joining the core team or, or leading a small group and saying, you know, they're not, they're not hip enough. They're not cool enough, or they don't know how to get along with teens. And, and, um, you know, I, I always had to tell them they don't want somebody trying to be a teenager. They just want somebody to be authentic with them and be who they are, you know, in their, in their world, they have so many people they engage with that have a certain agenda that they feel like they have to kind of step into a certain role with that agenda, whether it be their parents or a teacher or a coach and, and so for us leading small group, we got to just kind of step out of that and say, look, we don't have an agenda for you. I'm here for your agenda. I'm here for, for you and what's on your heart, what's in your life. And I want to talk to you and meet you on your, on your terms, on your turf, you know, in your, in your state in life. And I think that they respond well to that kind of uh, authenticity in their lives. Yes. I mean, that, I think you're, you're exactly right. The, the key word is authenticity, whether we're talking about authenticity in gumbo or we're talking about authenticity in, in small group leaders. It, it's being real. It's being who you really are. So that when Pope Francis uh, talks about how the shepherds must smell like the sheep, 
Um, he's not talking about pretending that you are a sheep. <laughs> he's not pretending about, uh, you know, you go into a small group and it's a bunch of teens so that you're, you're going to start to try to dress like them or listen to the music that they're listening to. But what he does mean is that we have to authentically listen to and come to know their culture and authentically be real with them about our own experience. Um, everyone who's listening to this podcast, unless you are still a teenager, is a recovering teenager. That um, that experience of teenage life, however distant it is in your past, is something that that you have um, kind of in your toolkit. You you have been a teenager, and some of you are like, okay, now I need to uh, take a deep breath, and that's a little <laughs> bit of a rough memory. But we we all have been there in their shoes, even though some of the things in the culture are different. We know those experiences. So, yeah, I think that the key, you're precisely right, is, is being authentic. If you're older, a lot of our teens are, are sorely lacking authentic witnesses to the faith that, that are, are older, maybe even their, their parents' age. We'd love to think that all teens are being brought up in homes where there's a vibrant Catholicism and you know just, just a great and thriving family, but that, that's not always the case. And so you just really being you, striving to grow in your faith, whatever your age is, is something that can be a huge asset to them. And I would also say that on the flip side of the coin, there's some young people who may think, oh, I'm just too young to do any of that. I, don't, I would volunteer to lead a small group, but I got to wait another 10 years or something like that. And I would remind you that more than once in scripture, um, when someone tries to uh, kind of back down at God's request, God says, say not, I am too young. So to all our Timothys and Isaiahs out there who are going to try to say, well, I'm too young to lead a small group. That's not true either, that, that you have some fresh experience to give to them. And perhaps our young people will be um, particularly willing to listen to you because you were a teenager not so long ago, because maybe your the way in which you're still discerning your vocation is something that can be helpful to them. And I think um, if, if I look at the most effective programs I have seen, it's that there's a real a cloud of witnesses, a diversity of small group leaders coming from different places, some who are older, some who are younger, men, women, you know, just a, that authentic diversity that's sort of um, going back to my Louisiana, sort of a, a gumbo pot of, of experience and vocational wisdom that, that can all go into that equation to um, have a community of thriving small groups. Absolutely. And that doesn't mean we have to, when you, when you mentioned being real with them, that doesn't mean we have to necessarily glorify our sin of the past, but but there is a certain sense of acknowledge our brokenness, that we're all in this this journey together and and um, and, to, and to journey together, not point fingers at them, but say, hey, I'm, I'm with you, and we're in this together, and let's, let's point ourselves toward Christ and, and kind of march in this direction. Exactly. I think that's... That's um, a question that comes up often. People say, well, how much should I share as a small group leader? And there, there is, of course, a balance. I would love to say, here's a scientific equation. You should share 46.2% of your experiences <laughs> or something like that. But but the, the discernment of that can happen in the community of small group leaders. I think it's a good idea to prepare and share a little bit of testimony and to uh, to be honest with one another. You know, if you're the youth minister, if you're the DRE, maybe you can give a little bit of just constructive feedback to your small group leaders about what to share. Not glorifying sin ever, but but communicating the real lived experience that you know, one thing that might come up in, you know, say you're running a small group for one of our studies, say it's, uh, you know, in, in, in Chosen, you're preparing our, our young people for, for confirmation. Well, what's your experience of your own confirmation? 
be prepared to share that. What what are some things that you experienced even in confirmation preparation? And if, if some of those things are, well, I, I didn't really take it as seriously as I should have back then, I think it's okay to share. So as um, to open up to them the possibility that, that there is growth, that you understand where they're coming from, but at the same time to balance and not, not glorify um, our brokenness or sin. Now, I don't know if I ever shared this with you, but I had a teen once. It was my first small group with this uh, group of teens. And I came in the first day and we're in a in like a teen lounge, teen youth center kind of setting. And uh, we're going around the room and just trying to like introduce ourselves. And and because, um, you know, like you I had this idea, uh, this idea of and still strive to try and create this zone of freedom. Um, but sometimes you get there that first day and you're like, okay, I just want the kids to look at me. Like, I just need them to like know that they're paying attention and they're not texting on their phones. And so, and so it's, it's, it sounds, it sounds great. And then you walk in that first day and then reality of these are, these are teenagers and they have, they don't want to be here. And, and most of them would rather, you know, swallow shards of glass than listen to me. (laughs) So how am I going to get them to pay attention? So one day I had this teen that I kid you not, he was literally upside down on the couch. And um, I was kind of, you know, going around the room and just tell me a little bit about yourself. And so, you know, I got to him and I thought, oh, good Lord, who knows what's going to come out of his mouth, you know? And he says, uh, yeah, my name is James and um, we're in Milton High School. I play the cross and uh, yeah, I don't work very well with authority. <laughs> oh, no. Perfect. <laughs> All of my nightmares are coming true right now. So my question to you is, what do you do when you have like discipline issues? Like, how do you deal with that? How do you create this, this zone of freedom? But then the, when the rubber hits the road and you've got teens that are being disruptive or teens that are just not engaging or teens that don't feel safe. And it's always that first day where you have to kind of set that, you know, set that standard. So how do you deal with um, just in discipline in, in general in a small group setting? That's an excellent question because we want to uh, we want to avoid them thinking oh this is this is exactly school, um, or we want to also avoid them thinking I can do whatever the heck I want here. I, I actually once had a young person in my small group who um, was a little bit of the the sort of dominating type, pipe up in the middle of a conversation and say like like a Disney supervillain or something. He said. Um, this is my small group now. It's like, <laughs> oh gosh, you know. Um, so I think the answer is that that we deal with these things in interpersonal relationships. And actually, just at an, an event that we had last weekend, somebody was was sharing this that that they took a young person outside after the small group, and um, you know, it, it it felt probably a little bit at first like getting called to the principal's office or something like that. And that his question to this young man who was kind of disrupting the small group was, hey, are you okay? You know, that it started with a a question of concern. He said, I I noticed you were really kind of acting up in there. Is there there something that's going on with you at home? Or do you really resent being here? And he said that it totally changed the tone that, that he could see just sort of just shock and surprise in this young person's eyes because there's there's a bubble of um, of expectation that a lot of our young people have that I got dropped off and I'm going to like test the envelope and here's this authority figure and I'm going to wait until I get in trouble and I'm going to get in enough trouble that maybe they'll kick me out and I don't have to come anymore <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> and and this just totally just shattered all of his categories. He said that that after that it was different. So I, I think that that's that's one thing to do in a small group, and it's a little bit of work, but is to get to know each individual person as a person, to know their names, to know their stories, 
in your disciplinary tactics to defy expectations, to not tolerate necessarily a ton of bad behavior, but to, um, to engage in a, in a mode of concern. And, and also in as far as we can really um, sort of put on our stethoscopes and listen to the hearts of our, our teens, um, figure out what it is that they're feeling and identify it and try to lead them to a deeper place. That, that I think um, goes a long way. And the, the other thing I would say with regard to discipline, and I may say this a couple of times, it's one of my um, you know, sort of uh, cliches, but a cliche is a cliche sometimes because it's true, is that we have to think more in terms of crockpots than microwaves. I would love to say that if you listen to this whole podcast, your very first small group will be so awesome that your, your small group – participants will be will be levitating by the end and, and by locating like Saint Padre Pio or something like that. It's more like this that building an effective dynamic, a short of Visco, requires the investment of time. It's often a little bit messy, you know, in that um, that you may you may have like a night or two that you're like, oh man, that was rough. It requires prayer and reflection that, that after maybe a rough night, you can go back and you can discuss maybe with your DRE, your youth minister, or if you are the DRE and youth minister, another colleague. But it, it's in being patient and, and staying with our young people that, that we'll get there. So, you know, that, that very first night, if you encounter a while, there, here's a character in my small group who is going to definitely um, present some challenges then it's right there. Just develop a strategy. And strategy number one is, is just to get to know and to develop a rapport and to uh, perhaps surprise them with the fact that you care. I'll even throw things out there like, you know, it's not, it doesn't sound exactly like a disciplinary tactic, but if there's someone in your small group who doesn't really want to be there and you know that, um, I don't know, let's say that they play soccer and, and that they're interested in that, well, well maybe, maybe, you, um, maybe you go to a soccer game and say like, you know, I'm here and, you know, maybe there's a couple of who are involved in whatever activity in whatever school, but it, it's in showing that we care. Love alone is credible and, and love alone is the, the path to real and effective and lasting discipline, I guess, in this setting. That's beautiful. You know, there's, a, um, I think there's something too, just to, to what a small group can become. Like you said, it takes, it does take time. And if you go about it with that in mind, um, you know, it can become a beautiful place for teens to come and share and become something novel because in their world, a lot of them are communicating via text message or um, Instagram or, or tweeting things out. And so just to sit down and have a face-to-face conversation with somebody sometimes can be um, a novel thing for them. And, and um, you have an analogy you like to use with um, the tra- training wheels and learning to ride a bike. And, and uh, we need to take a break. But if you could real quick before we go, just kind of kind of give us that analogy of, of um, the, the small group and, and being when they're riding with the training wheels versus riding on their own on the, on the bike. Yeah, absolutely. So a thought that I that I've had um, with regard to uh, you know youth ministry situations um, you know or confirmation small groups uh, a small group you know doing um, you know maybe perhaps our our, our U program or a theology of the body program what you want to happen is when they are when they're done with the study you want to some Friday evening walk out and maybe maybe you go to the movies or something like that and you see three or four members of your small group or maybe your whole small group and you see that they're there if it's the movies watching a morally appropriate movie of course a very edifying one 
Um, but you, you want to see that they've become a community that, that is continued afterwards. And a lot of the most rewarding experiences that I've had in whether it be youth ministry or confirmation prep is, is when I see them out together and I see, you know what, that they've actually become a community of disciples who are friends and authentic friends to one another. That's, that's what you want to see so that you're modeling a way of interaction interacting, a way of respect, a way of, um, of, of appropriate vulnerability to one another that, that's the stuff of real, authentic friendship in Christ. And um, I think that's what, what all of us are sort of aiming for is that, that when we um, sort of as the training wheel are, are not a part of the, the conversation because either you know they've, they've gone beyond high school or they've gone to college or even in the more immediate sense, whatever, whatever study you're running is over, that there's a real friendship that that's grown and that that's, that that's become just a reality beyond the walls of the parish in, in their own, in their own life. So that of course, um, you know, the, the front line that we want to see happening is that in the family, um, the community of faith is growing. And then maybe the second thing that we want to see is just in, in that community of, of friends. I Yesterday, kind of going back to my experience of uh, being on an all-girls sophomore retreat and um, having the privilege of really being a fly on the wall, one thing that I heard them say over and over again was – in reference to their quote unquote friend group, they just kept talking about these, these groups of friends. And I'm like, yeah, they're, they're talking about the, the small groups that they've organically formed just hanging out in school. And what we want to do is we want to introduce a quote unquote friend group that starts with a conversation about, about the gospel and becomes a place where real formation and virtue can happen. So, so yeah, that's, that's the dream is, is for, for those of us who are listening to this podcast, we want to be kind of training wheels that, that enable the, the two wheeler of real Christian friendship and maturity to happen. Amen. I love it. All right. With that, we're going to take a break and uh, we'll be right back. Hi, this is Father Mike Schmitz, and if you're looking for a way to learn more about your Catholic faith, I invite you to check out the Ascension Presents YouTube channel. You're going to find tons of free videos featuring Catholic presenters like Matt Frad, Leah Darrow, Jackie and Bobby Angel, and Emily Wilson. Go to youtube.com slash ascensionpresents. That's youtube.com slash ascensionpresents. And if you like what you see, please share and subscribe. All right, and we're back. So... We've talked about the ideal uh, dream for a small group and, and what we're uh, shooting for and going for. So let me ask you some of the questions that um, that uh, come up all the time that people want to know how to deal with certain certain situations um, in their small group. Now, the, I think the big one is everyone wants to know what do you do with a teen that just won't talk, the teen that just doesn't say anything. And then uh-huh. the other extreme of that, the teen that um, won't stop talking, who seems to you know kind of dominate the conversation and nobody else gets a word in edgewise. And who the quiet teen is glad that teen's in there because then they don't have to uh, <laughs> just to point them out. But uh, what do you do when you have those two extremes in your, in your small group or one of those two in your small group? Sure, sure. So, so a couple of strategies. Um, one, uh, I can I can tell you has been verified by teens. I had the opportunity this summer to be in a workshop where it was um, it was a lot of listening to to teens who are preparing for a more peer ministry sort of situation, and with regard to both the teen who talks too much and the teen who talks too little, they really thought that the strategy of subdividing the small group in certain certain circumstances was helpful. What I mean by that is, um, it's, it's kind of an educational term, but 
to, to think, pair, and share. So that a question is thrown out, and then everyone has a chance to think about it for you know 30 seconds or so, or however long you, you deem is, is necessary. And then before it goes to the whole small group, there's a pairing up, a little bit of an Emmaus experience where, um, where they can talk one-on-one. And for your for your teen who talks and talks and talks and talks, well, there's maybe a, an even more formal thing where you could subdivide that so that there's equal amount of time on both ends. Um, but there's also an opportunity for your more introverted teen to just have a one-on-one conversation, which is a little less intimidating. And if it just so happens in the small group that they're sitting next to the person that they already feel most comfortable with, well, that's fine. Sometimes there's a maybe a little overly zealous movement to uh, to separate teens from their friends in small groups to say, well, I want you to meet new people. Um, but f- I think that there's a balance there between that and the idea that we want to take those who maybe have a little of a little social anxiety or who are just a, maybe a little more naturally introverted. We want to make them feel comfortable enough that if there is one person who they have enough of a relationship with to discuss that they can discuss. So, so that strategy, so think, pair, share. And then after that one-on-one sharing happens, and I can verify this through a lot of experiences, if you allow a few to share with the larger group, um, you have a more robust discussion. So I think that that is a helpful strategy in dealing with both those who talk too much and those who talk too little. The other part that I would say too, and a lot of our programs have this as well, is an opportunity just to write, an opportunity to um, to just take a couple of minutes so that, that the ideas can be distilled and, and put down on paper so that even the one who may not be the uh, most vocal contributor to the small group still has the benefit of really being able to think and crystallize ideas. I do think a- another thing to avoid is the idea that Everyone in the small group has to be, you know, equally vocal because that's just not everybody's personality and and we want to respect where people are at. And we also have to acknowledge that for some teens there are um, more severe social anxieties that that kind of take over. For the one who shares too much, I think you have a great opportunity here that if the if your oversharer is somebody who is already very positive about being there, then you can have just a very real conversation where you can affirm um, how much they've grown in their faith and how much you're excited that they're excited, and then just to be sort of very real with them about the objective you have for the group. You might say, hey, you've, you've come so far and you have so many great things to share and I'm really grateful for that. I want you to help me to help the whole small group to enter in. And part of the way that we do that is, is by listening as much as we speak. I'll often uh, share because it's true. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit of an over talker. I never met a microphone that I don't like. And so um, what I'll say to a teen who also is uh, in that category and who talks too much <laughs> is that that I can, I can understand where they're coming from and that um, I've discovered that God gave me two ears and one mouth for a reason <laughs> and that I, I try to, uh, to listen more. And then, then I'll try to model that for them in the group too so that I, I don't give in to the temptation to, uh, to talk too much in the group on, on a good day at least. <laughs> so, 
so there's there's that for the for the over talker and the under talker those are at least a, a few effective strategies and and overall i would say the recipe for for this and for other issues is just getting to know each person in the group one on one yeah um so that there's enough of a relationship that you can have the, the you you've earned the right to be heard so that if the one who's really shy you can encourage and prop up and say hey i, I Maybe you know something specific, you know, you you know that they had a, a tough test that week. And so you might allude to that in the course of the conversation. And that might just be enough of a, of a nudge that they'll, they'll share about that with their peers. Yeah. And if that doesn't work, you can just put duct tape on the talkative team and then just, you know, threaten the um, non-talkative one. I found that to be very, you know, fruitful. Uh, I'm, I'm kidding. Totally, totally <laughs> those, joking. Those strategies, um, <laughs> we, we might want to write, right? <laughs> All right. So what about um, the idea of switching up your small groups each week or is there some something to keep in the same small group every week? Right. I, I think that um, some would have the idea, all right, we want, let's say it's, it's a, again, we're, we're talking about chosen or we're talking about a confirmation program. Well, there's, there's 100 candidates and I want them all to get to know every other candidate. So we're going to switch small groups every week. Um, while there's you know something to be said for that line of thinking, I think the, the bigger wisdom would be to keep them in the small group for the following reason. That your objective, um, while it's good for them to get to know everybody in the program, your deeper objective is to form a community of disciples, and that takes time. And it also takes some intentionality. Um, so I really would advocate for keeping the same small groups throughout the length of the study so that um, – that crockpot work that doesn't happen immediately can happen over time so that there can be an environment in which they grow and trust um, and in which they really have that freedom to, to be themselves. And there may be other ways you can, you can mix up the larger group um, so that everyone gets a chance to know everyone. But I think that having a small group that stays together has a lot of benefits in terms of what can happen in their relationships, even beyond the group, but what, um, what, what grows in terms of confidence to share with the rest. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm a big advocate of that. And, um, I think I, I've seen that certainly in, in, um, in our studies as well, that, that is very effectively, let's say we're talking about, um, a, a program that's more about theology of the body, even if it's, you know, say it's our, our middle school program or, or it's you and you're working with, with older teens, the kinds of things that are being shared about are, are pretty sensitive topics. And, um, you want them to have that that comfort to know that this is this is a group I can trust. It takes a while to build that. So so yeah, I, I would be an advocate of keeping the the same small group throughout. All right, and what about sizes? Um, what's the ideal size to have in a small group? You know, fifteen, five. What do you think about that? All right, so I'm going to give you a mathematical formula. You <laughs> you take the number of parishes, the number of families in your parish. And you subdivide and you multiply by 3.14 – just kidding. No, not at all. Um, so the ideal size of a small group um, I would say is between 8 and 12. And I would give the following qualifications. I think the younger the, the, younger the young people, the smaller you want the group, um, especially uh, all my brave people out there who work with middle schoolers, you know that um, that middle schoolers love to talk. And so you might start a conversation about – um, about any topic and it might turn to, Oh, this reminds me of that one time and my <laughs> aunt and my cat. And you're like, Whoa, how does that, you know, so that they'd like to share and you want to 
as much as possible, give them some, some airtime to, to share and to, to vocalize and verbalize. And um, the smaller the small group, obviously, the more time there is for that. And the dozen number, um, I've scientifically calculated. No, actually, not at all. I just I, I put a dozen up there because of the number. Of Jesus disciples, um, but but I think that that's that's about in my experience the the, the limit, you know. And um, I, I think if there are a dozen in the small group, there's still about an, enough time to share. The larger the small group, the more you want to look at the the session time. So that if you have small groups of twelve um, and you want them to have enough time to share, you you might want to gravitate toward a sort of longer session. Um, now. Some of you who are listening may be saying, well, that's great, like 8 to 12, that would be wonderful, but where am I going to find all these brave volunteers in my parish? And I would say I, I certainly feel your pain. In my own experience, um, there have been times where, um, you know, for example, our very first year of doing Chosen, our confirmation program grew exponentially. Like it was just it kind of it threw us off a little bit for a loop that we had gone from something like 80 to almost 140 in the course of a year. Um, so, so that, that particular year, we, we couldn't do small groups of 12. We, we had a larger group and we had to just come up with ways to, um, to really engage. So I, I think that if, if you do have a, a challenge, um, you know, maybe, maybe you're looking toward building your program and finding more volunteers for the future. But at this particular juncture, you may say, yeah, well, my small group's going to be like, you know, they're going to be 18 in there. So think about that think pair share strategy so that everyone has a voice so that everyone can be heard. Um, think about trying to find maybe sort of junior leaders in the group. I, I think that, that that would be a, a sort of way to deal with a larger small group. But, but yeah, eight to 12 is, I would say the sweet spot, so to speak. Very good. <clears throat> and I think, um, Lastly is, uh, what do you do if things are just not going well? Like it's just, you are crashing and burning, so to speak. And this just, the small groups just seems to be tanking. Um, any advice for what to do when that, uh, that starts to happen? Yeah, I would run as fast as I just can. <laughs> Cut and run. No, if, if you are experiencing that um, discouragement that it may be a couple of weeks into the program and you're thinking, oh my gosh, or it may even be the first night, you know, that you're like, oh man, like this was really, really rough. A couple of things to think about. One, um, is there the possibility at the very beginning, um, might there be a real reason to, to shuffle the deck a little bit? It's uh, worth considering. It might be that one of the reasons things are rough is because, let's say that there was a teen love connection gone bad that you didn't know about. And in your small group, there's you know like ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend, and you might say, well, we didn't know about this. Well, there might be a reason to shuffle that around and maybe make your director aware if that's not you. Um but for the most part, I think if it's not going well, it's, if it's the beginning, then stick with it. Um, this is not, not cop-out advice. It's actually, I think, really important that we pray, pray, pray for our candidates um, if it's confirmation or for our, uh, our, our young people in whatever setting that we're constantly wrapping them up in prayer by name. And that's one thing that can effectively work. We know that the disciples, when frustrated, that they felt like they were being ineffective, came to Jesus and they were like, Jesus, how come this isn't working? And he said, well, th this kind can only be worked out through prayer. Um, and so I think that may be the case for our small group sometimes as well. Um, the, the other thing, too, is don't go it alone that you may be the only small group leader in your parish. And even if that's the case, there are small group leaders elsewhere that you can network with. But, but 
do communicate with others about what's working um, and, and what's not working. That if there is um, a network of support, you may, even in just sharing your your struggles with another small group leader, the, the answer may present itself to you. You may realize, oh, you know what? I think the whole dynamic here is affected by this this one young person who really doesn't want to be there, and I haven't really talked to them about it, and, and I need to. The third thing is that you just have to, you just have to care, (laughs) you know, that you have to care not, not just about the small group as some sort of entity, but about the individuals in there. And when you start to care about them one-on-one, um, it, it may not happen in one night, but I can, I can pretty much guarantee that at some point there will be that reward and breakthrough. Even if it's not like the smooth running small group that you want, it, it, it will be effective that if you are loving young people and drawing them into the faith, and if your heart is in it, then the Holy Spirit's going to honor that. Great. Well, Colin, you are um, a good man doing good work, and uh, I thank you for your your time today. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. Mutually, Alan, and you are a good man doing good work as well. My wife would say it's debatable, but thank you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Go find some air conditioning and uh, get some jambalaya and have a good night. That sounds good to me. All right. Thank you, Alan. You bet. We'll talk soon. Sounds good.